Amen. All right. You ready for this one, Bobby? You ready to guess the guy? He's ready. All right. He may have been called the hayseed of hayseeds, but even the world described him as the greatest high-pressure mass conversion Christian evangelist the world or America has ever known. And it all started in Ames, Iowa, where this guy dreamed of one day playing professional baseball. And even though for most people this remained just a dream, but for this guy, his dream actually came true. True story. And so for the next seven years, he played in the National Leagues and joined the classic era of baseball hot dogs and homemade apple pie. He was on top of the world. He had it, right? But one day, while he was getting drunk with his teammates in Chicago, he heard the strains of a gospel tune that his mother used to sing him being played by a tiny band across the street. And there was a preacher over there, and he's preaching. And as he was preaching, this man simply stood up, told his friends, that's it, I'm through, I'm going to Jesus Christ. We've come to a parting of the ways. Just like that. And it didn't take long for him to give proof of his profession of faith in Christ. At a time when America was filled with vice and immorality like today, he moved from city to city, week after week, month after month, preaching on the pitfalls of sin and people's desperate need of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And to the church, he didn't hold back there either. He told him to stop playing around with sin with words like, I am against sin. I'll kick it as long as I got a foot. I'll fight it as long as I got a fist. I'll butt it as long as I got a head. I'll bite it as long as I got a tooth. And when I'm old, toothless, fistless, and, and footless, I'll gum it till I go home to glory. Okay? And then he told the church, stop goofing off with religion and do something and bring this world to Christ. And this man only said that, he led the way by example. During his sermons, he would skip and run and leap and fall down on the stage, imitating the drunkards and society women and the phony preachers and the moral backsliders. He would pound on the pulpit, he would jump on the pulpit, he would break furniture, he would stamp his feet with perspiration, spinning around, grimacing his face. And it was this enthusiastic, flamboyant, and humorous style of preaching that not only won him an enormous exposure in the newspapers of the day, but God used that personality to cause a massive outpouring of interest for instance in just one meeting over two million three hundred thousand people attended that's like this all of vegas in one meeting and they didn't just show up they got saved tens of thousands of them in fact in just one of his revival meetings nearly one hundred thousand people came to christ and through this one Christian man, he not only addressed over 100 million people without aid of loudspeakers, TV, or radio, by the way, but as many they estimate is when all was said and done, because of this one Christian man, 1,250,000 people were saved. In fact, for nearly 20 years, this one Christian man preached nearly 20,000 sermons, literally until he burned out for Jesus Christ. And of course, the man's name was Billy Sunday. Ooh, I like that first name. That's very interesting. Billy Sunday. Amazing. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but I say, wow, you take a look at that life. That's a true story. I'm not making it up. That really happened. He's a Christian just like you and I. But I would say that Billy Sunday had a pretty cool life as a Christian. Anybody else? In fact, I would say, now, whoo-wee, man, if you're going to shoot for something, now that is a life worth living for as a Christian. Amen? Right? Bearing fruit for Jesus, being used of him, tons and tons of souls. That, that's why we're here. But the problem is, we see that there is a problem, okay, in the American church today, okay? Even though God's the same God, and we're just as much his children as Billy Sunday is, right? The problem is this, man, most Christians today, hey, we read the Bible in one hand, we take a look at our life in the other, and we're going, man, something's wrong here. It's not matching up. It's not, it doesn't compute. Why is it that these people, like Billy Sunday, get to have this amazing walk with Jesus Christ? He uses them. Tons of souls are used by God that he saves. It's just awesome. Why does he get to have that life in 
I'm just fumbling around in the dark. I don't have a life worth living for. I've got a life worth giving up. Now, here's the good news. We've been seeing in our study, it doesn't have to be that way. This kind of life, a life worth living for, just like Billy Sunday had. Hello, he's a Christian, right? We're Christians, right? God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? So the potentiality is there. I'm not saying this. God is. Okay? So therefore, it is available to every single Christian. So once again, turn to somebody and say, and that means you. <laughs> it's true, man. And that's why we're going to continue our study, A Life Worth Living For. And what we're doing is taking a look at the different keys that I believe are pivotal if we're going to have that amazing walk, fruitful walk, just like, yes, Christian, even here at sunrise. If we're going to have that amazing walk like Billy Sunday had, okay? And what we're doing is we're taking a look at these different keys. And the first key we saw, if we're going to be that, uh, have that life worth living for, is when you and I learn to experience God's joy. Why? Because, again, in these last days, if you want to be used of God to bear much fruit for God, then we need to be those positive witnesses to him, right? So we got to work on our countenance, okay? Now, the problem is, even those we've been seeing in our study, the Bible is very clear. Listen, you don't have to go to a seminar. You don't have to buy a book. If you've got a copy of the Bible and you take God's word, by faith he says you want joy you want complete joy you want joy coming out of your ears you can't even contain it what do you do i don't have to buy nothing i simply abide in jesus i remain in him i love him i obey him do whatever he says to do he says listen i'll give you joy unspeakable coming right that's what we've been seeing the thing now that's easy right that didn't cost you nothing that's all you got to do every day what's the problem the world says no 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 it's too that's too simple that's too simple. What you need to do is get out there and spend money and go through all these hoops and rolls and all these mechanisms to seek temporary happiness, right? And it's a lie. And we saw the second way last time, the second way we miss out on temporary happiness is by seeking happiness and behavior instead of joy from the Savior. Ruth, I gave you one more, albeit smaller shot of joy. There, John's up there again. <laughs> but uh, we're here for you. And uh, they said, no, that's why, no, that's too easy, just abiding in Jesus and loving him and obeying him. No, no, you seek this happiness thing. And the way that you get happy, they say, is when you have perfect bodies and perfect relationships and perfect lives, right? How many guys realize that this side of heaven, that ain't going to happen? Have you noticed that yet? It's not going to happen. And what we saw there is that it's impossible to have these perfect bodies, perfect relationships, and perfect lives because that doesn't happen until we get to where? Heaven. So you talk about the ultimate illusion, this is crazy. You're not going to find those perfect things here on earth. And yet that's what the world says. You just got to work. To, and when you get that perfect body and the perfect life, then you'll be happy. You'll never be happy because you can't achieve it this side of heaven. It's a lie. Okay. Now, the third way uh, that we see, as you saw there, is not only this, that we get tricked into missing out God's joy, is seeking happiness and personal exaltation instead of the Lord of all creation. It rhymed again, Jim. Can you believe? And that even rhymed too. That's just coming out of me. Happiness and behavior, joy from the Savior. Self-exaltation. Hey, listen, I have to do something in my office, right? <laughs> no, just, you know, because pastors sit around and drink iced tea all day. That's all they do. No, it's a teaching technique. Helps you to hopefully memorize. Seeking happiness and personal exaltation instead of joy from the Lord of all creation. And the first self-exaltation, it's all about you, and if you can orchestrate your external environment perfectly, then that's when you'll be happy. Isn't that what the world says? Not what God says. And again, it's not going to happen this side of heaven. But that first exaltation we're tempted to find happiness in is when we have, that's right, perfect emotions. Isn't that what it is? Because that's what the world would have you and I believe, that joy is just an emotion. 
And that the only way that you can have that emotion is when you get your emotions under control. Excuse me? This world actually tricks you and I to becoming a slave to our emotions. You need to back up the train and realize that joy is an act of your will and seeking it in God. I didn't say that. God did. Open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8 is going to be our text here. I want to grab the context of what's going on here. Usually we'll uh, quote this, uh, the key verse that's in here. But so we don't read the context of what's going on here, okay? And the context, of course, is the people of God that have been backsliding. The Word of God has just been, you know, hasn't been available and preached, and they're just off doing their own thing, right? And that can happen individually when we're not exposed to the Word of God or even churches, even our country. When you get away from the Word of God, things go downhill real fast. And so revival is busting out here, and these people are going to be so full of joy, okay? But they get convicted of the Word of God, okay? And there's a, something that's going on here with their emotions, that I want to bring out here, okay, Nehemiah, okay, and as you guys know, Nehemiah, of course, was the third shortest man in the Bible, right? Right? Because he was Nehemiah, right? Obviously from my side of the family. And, uh, but uh, what was that? Who's the second? Second one, that's right, uh, Tom, is uh, Bildad the Shuhite. He was a little small guy there. And that's right, Oz Peter was the shortest guy because he said, the Bible says, slept on his watch. That's a little bitty guy, Tom. Sleep on his watch. But I digress. You're already there. So Nehemiah chapter 8. I bought you some time as you flip him there because it's been a long time since you've been in Nehemiah. The pages are white and crisp and clean. But that's right. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5. Let's take a look at what is going on uh, in the scripture. Ezra, he opened up the book. What book? The law of God, okay? All the people could see him because he was standing above them. He was on a platform. And as he opened, listen to this, the, as he opened the word of God, the people all stood up. Now, that's some good reverence for the word. Now, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. And then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, the Levites, Jeshua, Bani, and Sherebiah, and Jamin, and Akub, and Shabbatai, and Padiah, and Messiah, and Kalita, and Azariah, and Jezebed, Hanan, and Peliah, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. And they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving them the meaning so that the people can understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites were instructing the people and said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not what? Mourn or what? Weep. Two serious emotions, right? But he says, do not do it, which means what? You got control over them. Because how could you be, right? You're not a slave to your emotions, Christian. Do not. That's an order from God. That means it can be obeyed. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. They were convicted. Oh, no, God, what do we do? And Nehemiah said, instead, go, okay, choose to do something different. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Send uh, some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not what? Grieve, he says it a second time. Why? For the joy of your external circumstances, when you arrange them the way that you want, I'm sorry, wrong translation. The joy of who? The Lord is your strength. And the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not what? He says it a third time, do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink and send portions of food and celebrate with not just joy, but great joy. Why? Because they now got it. They understood the words that have been made known to them. Okay, and this is what I want to bring out, if you will, make known to you guys today in case you don't get it. 
Now, we get this part, okay, the first part, and that is this. The Bible is very clear. How can you get around this? We sing about this. We quote that one verse there, and we say it all the time. It's the joy of the Lord that is our strength, right? We know that. It's the joy of the Lord. Not this world, not your emotions, not all. It's the joy of Jesus Christ, and knowing him and being saved, what he's done for us, that is the source of strength, right? We get that. Now, what we usually don't get is this, and this is where we get off track, okay? It says also here in this text that we are to rejoice in God regardless of your emotions, right? Grieving, mourning, okay? Therefore, listen, here's the crux of this one point. The ability to rejoice in God is an act of your will that is not dependent upon your emotions. Can I say that again? Because the world cashes in on not getting this, Christian. The ability to rejoice in God is an act of your will, not dependent upon your emotions, right? God says, no, you don't have to feel that way. No, you don't have to mourn. You don't have to stay in that emotional state. Stop. Take an act of your will, do what God says to do, and you can rejoice in him. When I abide in him, focus on him, do what he says to do, woo That's a choice you make every single day. In fact, every single moment of the day. The scripture says we are to bring every thought captain and, uh, captive and obedient to who? Jesus Christ. So if there's something going in my head that is not keeping me abiding, thinking upon, enjoying, relishing, chewing on Jesus Christ, what do you do? Uh-uh. I'm not going that route. I'm going to stay with Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's where you maintain God's joy. Okay? But this is what the world does. They'll say this. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. You know what? You know, that's too easy. Just choosing the act of your will to seek God and remain in him and abide in him and experience his joy. No, no, no. See, you'll be happy when you get that perfect feeling. Right? And, and the way that you get that perfect feeling is either through some sort of medication or you can somehow orchestrate all your external circumstances the way that you like them. And of course, you're going to be happy, right? That's a lie from the pit of hell. How many guys realize that you're not God? Now, for those of you married and only one of you rose your, raised your hand, I won't go there. <laughs> anyway, excuse me, you're not God. So you cannot, Christian, you cannot orchestrate your external circumstances the way that you want them all the time. But if that's what you do with your feelings, you know, and you think you're going to somehow orchestrate, it, you're headed for a heartache. It'll never come. It'll never happen. Okay? And the reason is this, because listen, folks, our feelings are a byproduct of our thoughts. Now, we're going to get into this, Lord willing, in greater detail, maybe in a future study, but I want to give you a little teaser right now. Our feelings are a byproduct of our thoughts, what you put in your mind. Okay, let me demonstrate. This is easy to demonstrate because the world says, oh no, you, 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 you have no control over the... the mo no, that's not true, right? Our feelings produce what we think in our brains. Did you know that? All right, let me give you the classic example. You're watching a scary movie, which I'm not recommending, just by way of example, right? There's that classic... You know it's a movie. You know it's Hollywood. You know those are paid actors, you know, it's, it's fake stuff, right? You know it, okay? But you're sitting there, you're watching it. Even though you know that, you're playing this tape in your mind, right? 
It's this movie. You're playing this movie in your mind. And so your, your, your body starts to produce the appropriate results. It doesn't know what's, the, what's real and what's not real. It's just going based upon your emotions produce what's based upon what's going in your mind, and they don't know the difference between what's real and what's negative. So go back to that movie. So you got this scary movie going through your brain. How do you start to feel? Scary, right? He's so scary, right? And you'll even start to interact. You know it's not real, but you keep playing that tape. And then it comes to the scene where the lady's on the phone, right? But she doesn't see the guy in the hallway who's sneaking out of the closet. And he pulled the plug on it. And here he comes around the corner with something scary and freaky like a knife. And she doesn't see it or a bucket of KFC or something. Something horrible, right? She doesn't see it coming. Ah! And, and she's not only screaming. You start screaming. Ah! You know it's not real. And it gets closer and it gets closer. And you actually will talk back to the TV. Stop, run, run. Your heart rate's up. You're sweating. Why? Because you played a tape in your head. You let the movie play the tape for you, but it's going in your mind. Your body, your, the way it works, your emotions don't know what's real and what's not. And so when you play that scary tape in your head, you start to feel scary and it starts producing the appropriate response so therefore it's with anything when you start to think about something that's exciting how do you feel what does your emotions do you start feeling excited if you start thinking of something sad or depressing and you don't turn that tape off as an act of your will guess what you start to produce depressing sad feelings you start to get angry about something and you keep playing that tape it's, it's not even it's not even happening before you how do you feel you start feeling angry. That's what it is. Joy is an act of our will. We say, no, I'm not going to play that tape. I'm going to think on the things of God. I'm going to remain. And guess what? <laughs> they approve, uh, your emotions produce the appropriate results. But here's what we do. I want to break it down for you. And this is how, this is down to the nook and cranny. Because right? how many of you guys have ever experienced this? You're a Christian just had a great time with Jesus, prayer, Bible, reading, whatever, and you're just now leaving your house. You feel charged up. Your mind's on the things of God. You're full of joy. The day is, oh, yeah. Next thing you know, you're down in the dumps, or you're full of anger or something. It's like, whoa, wait a second. How did that happen? You ever experienced that? How did I get off track? I've noticed two things what we do. Now, I don't know where it's coming from. It could be the old man. could be something from this world triggering a new tape in her head. Could be spiritual warfare. But what we do is we go in the future with imaginary situations. I want to break it down for you. Because you got to get this, because the world cashes in on this guy. Okay? Imaginary situations. These are these little private conversations that pop in our head about the future. You're having a great day with Jesus Christ. Things are awesome. Woohoo! Remain in Him, abiding in Him. Things are going great. And all of a sudden, this thought goes into your head I wonder if I'm going to lose my job. <laughs> I don't know where it came from, but it came in your head, right? And guess what? You don't stop. You keep thinking about that thought. Here goes the tape. Or is it, I wonder if the economy's going to slow down or I'm going to lose my savings. I wonder if my health is going to take a turn for the worse. And guess what? You keep thinking those thoughts. They're rotten thoughts about a possible rotten future that you don't even know. But guess what your emotions do? Oh, we'll produce the appropriate response based on that tape. You start to feel rotten. You start out with great joy with Jesus, but you didn't control what's going on in your tape. And listen, it's an act of your will. You're not a slave to that. If you've been playing a rotten tape, yes, I didn't say it, God did. Don't do it. Choose to stop the tape and put in Christ's tape. 
It happens that fast. This is what they, and then you get back to being that joyful, positive witness for Jesus. You didn't have to take a class for that. You don't need nothing for that. Just stop the tape. Don't do it. Woo, I'm saved. Jesus Christ has saved me. Woo, I'm going to heaven. Life is good. That's in the future. We also do it with the past, with imaginary conversations. Things are going great. You just had your devotional time. You're leaving the house, woo, pumped up. You're thinking about Jesus, all the great things, man, he's done. What you're headed for, nobody's got a better future than us. And all of a sudden, your brain, I don't know where it comes from, but all of a sudden, here, here it happens. All of a sudden, you think about that rotten event that happened in your childhood. You think about that rotten deed that somebody did to you whether it's four hours, four days, or four years ago. You think about some huge disappointment in your life. Oh, by the way, did you guys know you cannot change your past? You can learn from it, but you cannot change your past. Paul says, I forget the former things. Secular psychology says, no, go back there and stay there. You go back there, you become a slave of a past you cannot change. God wants to do a new thing. He says, live for today. Each day has got enough trouble of its own. Why would you want to go in the past and heap up a bunch of junk on it? It's challenging as it is. But that's what we do. And then all of a sudden we start thinking about that, that event and that horrible thing and that disappointment and all that stuff and everything. You know, and guess what? And, 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 what's your emotions do? They produce the appropriate response. Sadness, anger, depression. You know what God would say? Stop. Don't do that anymore, Christian. I've redeemed your past. You're not responsible for other people, what they did. You are accountable for your reaction to it. Live for today. Stop going into the future. You don't even know if you're going to be alive tomorrow. What is your life? A wisp of vapor. Would you just live for today? Oh, and in this day, put this tape in your head. Think about all the wonderful things I've done for you. Why does Paul say statements like this? Think on whatever is right, excellent, praiseworthy, trustworthy, and true. Why? Because what's the payoff? The peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart. Isn't that a much better way of going? You just got to pay attention to what tape is being played. Stop! And put Jesus' tape back in and move on and have a wonderful day. Believe it or not, folks, it really is that simple. Now, I want to give you an easy, easy biblical example that there is no such thing as a perfect emotion, okay? You can get them back in line with God, but if you think you have to have perfect environment in order to praise God and be joyful in Him, you're reading the wrong Bible, okay? Well, let's take a look at one obvious example, and that's in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 22, 23, and 25. The crowd rose up together against them, and this is with Paul and Silas, okay? They're out there preaching the gospel. That's what we're called to do, right? Notice the response of the people. And the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. Ooh, that hurts. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison. Now they're in prison after getting beaten. And about midnight, Paul and Silas says, we're weeping, we're mourning. I don't know what to do. My circumstances are all messed up. It's impossible to have joy. I'm a slave to this. I'll never change. Whoa, is me. I'm sorry, let me put it in the vernacular. Gloom, despair, and agony. <laughs> yeah, it's the spirit of hee-haw right? I was tortured. Anybody else tortured growing up as a kid? Come on, man. I know there's no such thing as cable yet, but shut it off. <laughs> Listen to what Paul and Silas were doing, because this is the extreme. How many guys have been beaten with rods and then chucked into jail? Oh, by the way, their jails back in the day didn't have cable TV and a workout center and nice meals. 
with all due respect, this was bad. Listen to what they were doing. They're not a slave to their emotions. They took an act of their will and decided, no, I'm going to seek God. How? By praying and singing hymns of praise to God. Notice the payoff. They weren't just filled with God's joy in the midst of their circumstances. That did not change. But what's it say there? And the prisoners were listening. You bet you they were. What a witness that is, man. They're in there too. They might have got beaten too. They're in shackles against the wall too. They're right next to them. But these guys are over there singing, the joy of the Lord is my strength. See, I won't sing it because I want you to be joyful. <laughs> They're praising God. Woo! Man, if I was a non-Christian sitting next to that, you know they're going to say this. What farmer seed did you go? No, they're not going to say that. They're going to say what? How do you do that? You guys aren't stopping because this ain't fake. This ain't an act. You really, what? Can I have that? Where'd you get that from? Can I get some of that? Yes, let me tell you about Jesus. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We chose as an act of our will not to play the wrong tape in our head. And even though we're in prison with our backs bloodied and beaten, we're going to experience his joy. Oh, by the way, he's going to use that to save souls. Now, isn't that a life worth living for? Which would you rather have? Happiness. Or this kind of joy? And how would that countenance with that kind of joy in your circumstances that might be painful and maybe aren't changing, how would that witness to those around you? That's the point. The second self-exaltation, we say, okay, well, if I can't control my emotions, okay, maybe I can just, again, control my surroundings. I just need to have perfect control, right? Anybody ever met those folks, right? You got to control everything around them, and that's when I'll be happy, right? And that's exactly what the world says. I'll be happy when people, first of all, in two phases, I've noticed, when they follow my priorities, right? When you do things the way that I like them done and how I think it's important, and you do that, then I'll be happy because obviously my priorities are always right. Turn to somebody and say, that's arrogant, right? Excuse me, as if your priorities are always the best. Think about that statement, folks. Just because your priorities are important to you, it doesn't mean there's no room for adjustment, okay? And if you try to find happiness in that false reality, your so-called search for happiness is also going to be out of adjustment. But then we go to stage two. It's not just priorities. It's just our plans, period, right? It's not just priorities in life, but as I encounter life, I've got a plan for this situation. I've got a plan for this. I've got a plan for this. I've got a plan. And when you follow my plan, then everything's going to be great. I'll be happy. Anybody ever fall for that lie? But again, folks, you talk about the ultimate pride. Just because you have a plan doesn't mean it's the best plan. Doesn't mean it's the only plan. Doesn't mean that it can't be tweaked. And it doesn't mean that other people's plans won't work, even if it sounds goofy, right? Like this one. Check this out. One day, these two sisters found out they had just inherited the family ranch, and they were determined to keep it going. But unfortunately, after just a few years, they were in some serious financial trouble. So in order to keep the bank from repossessing the ranch, they decided to purchase a bowl, okay, so they could uh, breed their own stock, cows, right? It's awesome. And so the first sister, they took, she took their last $600 and heads out west to another ranch where this man had this prize bowl for sale. And so, but before she left, she told her other sister, she says, when I get there, if I decide to buy the bull, I'm going to contact you to drive out after me and haul it back home. So the first sister, she goes to the ranch, she inspects the bull and she decides she does want to buy it. And the man there who owned the bull says, you can have it for $599, not a penny less. And so she paid the guy and she goes to the nearest town and 
decides to send her sister a telegram to tell her the good news. And so she walks into the telegraph office. She says, I want to send a telegram to my sister telling her that I bought a bowl for our ranch. I need her to hitch the trailer to our truck that I need her to then drive out here so we can haul the bowl back home. Well, the telegraph operator says, hey, I'd be glad to help you out. But see, it's going to be 99 cents a word. Well, she had 600 bucks. She spent 599. What she got left? She's got a buck, right? And so that means she could only send one word. And so after thinking about it for a few minutes, she nods and says, okay, I tell you what. Here it is. I got a great plan. I want you to send her one word, and this is the word. I want you to send my sister the word comfortable. And with this, the telegraph operator says, lady, excuse me? That doesn't make sense. How is she ever going to know that you want her to hitch the trailer to your truck, that you want her to drive out here, haul that bull back to your ranch, and send it with just this one word comfortable? And she said, well, you see, my sister, she's a blonde. She's going to read it very slow. Comfortable. Hey. Now, now that's kind of interesting. How many of us, as we're reading through that, and you thought, that's the dumbest thing. What's the plan? What planet did you land on? What? But when all was said and done, guess what? Pretty smart plan. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You still had a penny left. That's awesome. And folks, here's the point in all seriousness. Until you and I can admit, excuse me, again, you're not God. You don't know it all, okay? Somebody else might have a better way, or your plan might, yes, believe it or not, need some adjustments. But as long as you insist it's your way or the highway, your search for happiness is going to get knocked around. It's not going to happen, okay? Besides, once again, the Bible has a better way. And there's a person who needs to learn this desperately, and her name was Martha. Let's take a look at that. Boy, she had plans, right? She had her priorities of how things need to be done, and she was missing out on God's joy the whole time. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him, okay? She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Can I, can I translate that? She abided in Christ. She, she remained in Christ, okay? Here's your option number two. But Martha, she was what? Distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. You know, the priorities and the plans. It's got to go this way and it's that way. I can't be happy right now. I ain't got time for that. I've got to make sure that... Really? Uh, she came to... In fact, she not just thinking that. She went to God. Wanted God to back up her plan. Can you believe that? Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. What, can, what's she saying? God, tell that person to follow my plan and my priorities because I know it all. Jesus is right there. Excuse me? And he loves her. He says, Martha, Martha, come on. The Lord answered, you are what? Here's the byproduct of you living like that. Are you worried? Are you upset all the time? Maybe it's because you're not getting this point. It's not about everything going your way or the highway. You need to be flexible. You're worried, upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen that which is better. She's remaining and abiding in Christ, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary, folks, is a woman, and guys can do it too. Think about what's going on here. Jesus, listen, wouldn't it be cool if Jesus literally came to your house today? Wouldn't that be awesome? Now, for some of us, the way we're living, that might be scary. 
But assuming you're loving him and obeying him and abiding him, man, Jesus is coming over. Here you have Jesus who died on the cross for us. He's forgiven us of all of our sins. He's taken us to heaven. He decides to show up. No, I better make sure the house is spotless. I tell you what. No, stay right there, Jesus. Sit on the couch. I'll be with you in about two hours. <laughs> Are you crazy? Who cares? I don't care if there's that Twinkie there from 1922. I don't care. Jesus is here. And sit at his feet. Can I tell you something? God is omnipresent. We're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ. Jesus is with you wherever you go every day. And if you insist it's got to be your way, the highway, it's just as sad and ironic, and no wonder you're upset all the time and worried, like Martha, because you're focusing on your plans, your priorities, it's always got to go, instead of just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Which would you rather have? Happiness or joy? even if people don't follow your plans. Oh, and by the way, when people don't follow your plans, when life doesn't go the way that you want it to go, how would that be a witness to the lost around you? Because they'll get upset, but you keep your joy in Christ. The third and final one we're going to deal with today anyway, about self. That's the theme of this one. It's all about self. You've got to have self the way you want it to have this happiness. Is the, the, this is talk about the pipe dream, and that's perfect comments. Isn't that what we say? I'll be happy when I get nothing but great compliments and people do nothing but build up my self-esteem and I feel great all the time. And they back it up because that's the only thing they ever say to me is nice things. Isn't that, what we, isn't that the illusion we try to live by? I'll be happy when, when I get nothing but compliments. Which, by the way, is called flattery. And I don't know if you guys noticed this or not, but did you know that flattery works on two groups of people, men and women? Okay. But what I've also learned about flattery uh, is it's just like soap, 90% lie. Okay, people might be buttering you up for something, so be careful, okay? But we're living a life, we think, in this world, in our society, everybody's going to give us nothing but compliments. Get real. I'm not condoning it. Scripture says as Christians, Ephesians 4, 28, 29, he says, listen, you don't let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth. The only thing that should be coming out of your mouth, Christian, is that which is for building up for the edification of the church. So I'm not condoning that, but I'm saying get real. This is not heaven. Unfortunately, you're not always going to get compliments. So then what we do is we flip it around. We say, okay, fine. If I can't get nothing but compliments, then I'll be happy when I get, when I get no more criticism. Yeah. Let me criticize that point for a moment. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Again, this is the ultimate pipe dream, folks. Excuse me, we live in a sinful, rotten world. They not only do sinful, rotten things, but they're going to, unfortunately, say sinful, rotten things. Again, I'm not condoning it, but give me a break. If you act like somehow that it's always going to be perfect, and then when, when I only get nice compliments and no criticism whatsoever, and then I'll be happy, you'll never be happy because that's not reality. Once again, the Bible has a better way. Okay, and this is the example uh, that we see. It's called do it God's way regardless. Okay, the apostles, they, they learned this powerful lesson. I got to share this with you because this is really cool. And this is what we see, okay? If they were going to wait uh, to praise God until they got nothing but the praises of men, ain't going to happen. And this is a powerful example. We see Acts chapter 5, verse 29, 40, and 41. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human authority, right? That's awesome. That's what we're called to do as Christians, right? 
So everybody appreciates us being Christians in a non-Christian world. No. So guess what's coming? They called the apostles in. They what? They had them flogged. Okay? They had them flogged, beaten again. And they were ordered them. Here's what their words. No compliments. Criticized. Never again to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. And the apostles left the high council. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. They don't like me. Did you hear that? They criticized the way that I was talking. I mean, I try, I've gone to school for so many years. Who do they think they're talking to? I can't do No. Who cares what those people say? What did they say? They rejoiced in God. What? They rejoiced that God had counted them worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus Christ. I think the point's pretty obvious. If the apostles ever waited until they received the praises of men before they were ever going to praise God, abide in him, and experience his joy, what would happen? Never would have happened. It's the same thing with you and I, folks. It's the same thing with you and I. Otherwise, you become a slave to people's either criticisms or compliments. I remember one man said many years ago, I've held on to it myself in ministry, do not give undue regard to criticism or compliments because they could be manipulative techniques for people to get you to do what they want you to do instead of what God's called you to do. And if you live for those things, you become a slave to them and so will your so-called happiness. And it will also lead to heartache. If you live your life on the whims of other people and their opinions about you and what God has called you to do, Horrible circumstance. You'll be a slave to them. And you'll be shipwrecked like these guys. Check it out. One day, this old man and this boy were taking their donkey to town. And the boy was riding on the donkey while the old man was walking alongside, right? Well, as they went along, they passed some people who declared it was a shame that the old man was walking and the young boy was riding, right? So the old man and boy thought, well, okay, maybe the critics were right. So they changed positions. Well, later down the road, they passed some other people and they remarked that, hey, what a shame it was for the old man to make that young boy walk. Well, this, the old man and boy decided, well, okay, right, we'll both walk. But soon they passed some more people who said, man, how stupid it was. They were both walking when they had a perfectly good donkey to ride. So the old man and the boy decided that, okay, both of them should ride the donkey. But then they passed yet another group of people and stated how awful it was to put such a heavy load on the donkey. So the old man and the boy thought, okay, they're probably right. So they decided to carry the donkey. But as they crossed the bridge, carrying the donkey, they lost their grip, they all fell into the river, and they all drowned the end. <laughs> yeah. Now, I think it's pretty obvious, folks. The point is, those are one of those stories you do not want to read your kid before you go to bed. You know what I'm saying? It's probably not a good way to end it, okay? Uh, unless it's a discipline thing, and I don't know. But anyway. When we live for the praises of men, And it's got to be always positive comments. Or you can't say anything bad. You can't criticize me. You become a slave to the opinions of other people. Not that you can't receive input, but you become a slave like this. And you'll get all messed up. You try this. Well, I'll try this. And I'll go over here. I'll try this and this and this donkey. And then maybe you ride and I'll, then I'll ride and this, 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 and that. And okay, what they said, what he said. Why don't you just do what God called you to do? And sometimes when you do what God calls you to do, and it's going to get worse in our society today, it isn't going to be popular, and you will be criticized and threatened. But I don't have to sit here and bounce around. I'm going to do what God called me to do. I'm going to remain in him, abide in him, preach the gospel, that the lost might be saved, and experience his joy. But if you live the other way, you're going to get drowned just like those, that illustration. So which do you want to have? Right? 
God's joy and you're free from the whims of other people, right? Or become a slave to the whims of others. And a lot of you guys might, again, the theme is this. You might be thinking, okay, listen, but Pastor Billy, you don't know my circumstances. You don't know how bad it is. You don't, you don't know what people have said to me. You don't know my circumstances. You don't know how people have re, uh, hurt me and did all this, excuse me. And we act like, okay, here's the thing. I know all that. I know the Bible says that. And that's good news, by the way. I can maintain God's joy on a regular level. But you don't understand. It, and we act like that's the excuse. Because my life isn't perfect, which cannot be perfect this side of heaven. That somehow that becomes the excuse not to receive this good news. So to hopefully dispel that, let's go back to Billy Sunday. See, I'm sure that's why he had such a great life worth living for. I'm sure that's why so many souls got saved. I'm sure that's why he was so joyful when he preached and God used it and all that stuff. I know it's got to be because he had nothing but compliments, right? Everything always went as, no. Let's listen to the rest of the story. Billy Sunday was not only born in extreme poverty, but he never even knew his father because he died when he was only one month old. And even though his mother tried the best to make ends meet, to keep the family together, she still had to force him to send him to an orphanage. Now he doesn't even have his mom. And there he not only had to fend for himself, but he had to work his way through school as a stable boy, an errand runner, a hotel worker, a farmhand, even an undertaker's helper. And then you'd think that the pressure would get easier, but it's after he got saved, no, not at all. Listen to this. Even though he was considered to be one of the greatest evangelists of all time, the world accused him of being a tool of big business and some sort of money-grubbing charlatan. And listen, the world says he was preaching the old, old doctrine of damnation, and he was getting results by inspiring fear and gloom. But it didn't stop there. That's the world. The church railed at him. Even the so-called church joined in on the tax where his fellow brothers accused him of being too simplistic in his theology. And that his antics were turning worship into some vaudeville. And that his meetings weren't really producing results. But through it all, Billy Sunday not only ignored the church's criticism, but the world's temptation. You see, later in life, he could have had so-called, according to the world, a perfect life. He was actually offered $1 million back in that day a million dollars to be in the movies. And he turned it down. Why? So he could preach the gospel without interruption and store up treasure in heaven. If anybody had the excuse as to why, they wouldn't seek God anymore. Be sour about God and what he did because he didn't have this and people didn't like him and the world and the church and the criticism and his plans and nobody liked him and they made fun of him. They said, nah. I think it's Billy Sunday. But my guess is he must have been reading his Bible. It says, you're not a slave to your emotions. And abiding in Jesus Christ is an act of your will every single day. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do. I'm going to abide in Jesus. And I'm going to be joyful, and I'm going to preach the gospel. I think that's why it was. And I think ultimately the motivation for that is because for Billy Sunday, like with this man, Salvation is enough to motivate me to seek Christ and to preach Christ. Let's take a look at this. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you. Let me testify about my Lord. 22 years ago, I woke up my apartment, half naked, having drunk myself almost to death. 
I noticed that I was cold and I felt something on my face. What was I lying in? I stumbled to my feet and I went to the mirror and I turned on the light and this very distinguished, eloquent preacher, lost and without Jesus, had slept the entire night in his own vomit. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He has saved me when I was such a wretch you would not have wanted to run me down with your car. But my Jesus, he bought me with his blood. And my Jesus, he came to me and my Jesus took away my sin and my Jesus took away my shame. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. That's my Jesus. Sometimes young men will ask me, Brother Paul, what's the secret? How is it that you preach the way you do? How is it, Brother Paul, that you talk about things like that? How is it that we see the power of God? What's your secret, Brother Paul? He found me in a pool of vomit. That's my secret. That there are not many wise or noble. I am the cheapest of all sinners. I was the lowest of the low. And that's what Jesus does. That's my secret. I had nothing. That's my secret. And you were probably much prettier than me on the outside, but I can assure you, you were not any prettier than me on the inside. They say to me, they say, how do you pray like that? How do you preach like that? I mean, what, what, what did you learn in your devotional time? No, you don't understand. He saved me. He saved me. Where's that great motivation? Did you get it from some verse you read? You don't understand. He saved me from what I was. There's no key except I was the worst in the pack. He saved me. What else needs to be done to motivate me? What else needs to be done? Is it salvation enough? Is it salvation enough? How could Billy Sunday put up with all that criticism? The attacks from the world, the attacks from the church, the pressure from within, without. How could he keep it up and keep telling others about Jesus with great joy? I think it's because salvation for him was enough. How could Mary, I mean, uh, there's stuff that needed to be done. There was priorities. There was a plan. How, how could she just sit at the feet of Jesus? Because the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the author of salvation is enough. How could Paul 
Paul and Silas, they got their backs beaten, bloodied, and bruised, and the world hated their guts, but they're still singing praise to God. How could they do that? Was it a seminar, some book they read? Because I think salvation was enough. How could the apostles, they're being threatened. Eventually, they're going to say, we're going to kill you. We're going to take you guys out. You better stop this up. How could they keep preaching and rejoicing in God? Preaching the gospel. Because salvation was enough. How about us? Have we forgotten who we used to be? Have we forgotten what God has saved us from? Phillips Brooks says this, the religion that makes a man look sick certainly won't cure the world. Are we going around being a bad advertisement for Jesus? How's our countenance, Christian? Is it down in the dumps? Are we giving the world the lost, the impression, come to Jesus and you can be sick like me? Or do we need to remind ourselves that salvation is enough it doesn't matter what happens in life. Come to Jesus. It's enough. Let's be that kind of church and have a life worth living for every day. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how... Uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word. Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. 
And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go 
to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.